Hi, my name is Jen. I'm a holistic nurse practitioner, and I'm here to tell you that your body can heal. I've healed eight different chronic and autoimmune conditions that had me bedridden sick with little hope for my future in my 20s. I've created this podcast to inspire you and give you the tools to heal your body, your mind, your heart, your spirit, and your life. This podcast is for patients, practitioners, and people who want to listen from the place where spirit and science meet. As we heal our body, we have a body that moves well, thinks well, loves well, and that is a body we want to be in for this life to carry out our soul's work. I'm so glad you're here tuning in with us. Now let's get to this week's episode. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Inspire Health by Jen podcast. Today, I have my friend, Dr. Jess Bulky here. She's a holistic cancer survivor turned healthcare provider. She's my chiropractor. She's my friend. She's my soul sister, and her journey will shift something in you today. Her words are inspiring, and let me tell you, her heart is so genuine. Jess says a quote that I love. She says, a healthy person has many dreams but a sick person has only one to be healthy again. And we're all on a healing journey of some kind, whether it be cancer, chronic illness, autoimmune disease, or creating a new life after heartache. I promise you, when you listen to our conversation today with her story, you will be served and inspired in a way that will be like none other. So Jess, I'm so excited to have you here. Welcome. Thank you. Gosh, that intro is going to make me cry. That was (laughs) so kind. And I feel like it was not even at the amplitude of the the human that you are. So thank you for being here. You are, your story and where you've come from is so inspiring. And I know those living with chronic illness or those new to a cancer journey or adoptive mamas or chiropractors or just everyone wanting to be healthy and well, we'll get something from our conversation today. I've heard Jess's story a number of times. I've been able to hear her speak and, and share it with me as her friend. and. I will say she's literally a living miracle. Yeah, Jess? <laughs> you are so kind. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you're it, it's one of those things where when, you know, as life goes, you kind of forget until you really stop to connect on the full story and go back and realize all the miracles that led you to where you are. So it's pretty powerful. Yeah. Well, I'm so excited to share your miracle. So you were diagnosed with a rare aggressive form of ovarian cancer at just 20 years old. And doctors gave you five years at best to live. And not only are you here today, many more than five years later to tell the story, but you also beat this cancer in a unique way. Did I leave anything out there? I mean, that that definitely gets a broad stroke over the entire journey for sure. It's it's really wild to reflect on that thinking that I had five years and what could have been if I would have accepted that as the truth. Yeah. Well, I want to flash back to 2019, 18 year old Jess. Mm-hmm. And because now you're like the holistic health queen, you're a chiropractor, you field cancer holistically, you have a blog, you serve and inspire others to be healthy. You're plant-based, you work out, you like, you're doing all the things you have a sauna in your basement. <laughs> that I'm sharing that. <laughs> Can you tell us what was health to you before your diagnosis? Before my diagnosis, I would say that health in my mind was merely the absence of disease. And so 
if you were okay, then you were healthy. So you were either sick or you were healthy. Um, whereas now I would say health is not just the absence of disease. And I think that that's a really simple way to put it, but that was truly my mindset where it was like all of the warning signs and symptoms that I dealt with on a day to day that were in optimal function, I didn't see as being sick or as a barrier to health. So did you have symptoms before your diagnosis or how did the diagnosis come about? Absolutely. I mean, when I really kind of zoom out and look at my entire childhood, I was very sick. Um, it was always the little acute things that pop up and it was almost like playing whack-a-mole all the time of all the little symptoms and the way my body was crying out for help. And I just kind of put a bandaid over the bullet wound again and again and again, Mm -hmm. until eventually it led to cancer. And it seemed like I went to the doctor for every little thing, because that's what I thought health was. If you're having Mm -hmm. symptoms, make the symptoms go away and then you're healthy. And so it was always about how can I make these symptoms go away as quickly as possible? And in my mind, you go to the doctor, you get a script, you take a script and then you're healthy again. And so that was truly how I lived my life, whether it was, um, you know, a stomach ache, a sore throat, anything that popped up. And I would say right at about 18 years old is when the symptoms started and didn't really stop. So the whole pill for every ill thing didn't work for me anymore. And it became more and more frustrating as the symptoms compounded. So it was like UTIs, extremely painful menstrual cycles, kidney mm-hmm. stone, you name it. A lot of urinary and reproductive system symptoms that were really trying to warn me that something was happening in my body. And unfortunately, kind of going that path I did, it was antibiotics, stronger antibiotics, steroids, muscle relaxers, painkillers. I mean, you name it. I was on it as a 18, 19 year old girl, just trying to figure out how to be quote unquote healthy again, which to me meant symptom free. It didn't even necessarily mean feeling abundant and healthy. Like I know it now. Um, and so it was really about my mindset was how quickly can I get rid of these things so I can just be a normal college girl again and have fun and party with my friends and live my best life. Um, so it was pretty wild time. What, what was life like before the diagnosis? Like, were you a stereotypical college gal? Like what, I mean, you eat immaculate and you do all the things to keep yourself well now, but like, did you always live like that? Absolutely not. (laughs) Absolutely not. Um, I loved to have a good time. I still do. It just looks a little different. Um, (laughs) you know, beer, pizza rolls went out every night. Um, I would say my version of health then was like a diet Coke and a frozen smart ones meal. Um, maybe taking like comparable to a Flintstone vitamin kind of deal. I had started to become intrigued with health. Um, probably my sophomore year of college, really kind of digging into wanting to feel better. Um, so I would say that I started to become health curious in how can I feel better, started to kind of play with some greens, things like that. Yeah. Um, but that wasn't where I was at when I came to this fork in the road in my life. There were no siete chips in what you've made famous as the tart cherry mocktails in the yeah. evening. Yeah. yeah. No, none of that. Yeah. Oh, I totally get it. It's so cool to see like where we've been, to, where we've come from and where we are now. So you were having symptoms. You wouldn't say you were like super sick, but it was just this whack-a-mole game. 
I want to ask a pretty gutsy question and it doesn't have to have a, a direct answer, but what do you think led to your diagnosis of the ovarian cancer at 20 years old? Absolutely. Uh, it is such a deep question and it's one that I've continued to unpack the further I get out from that diagnosis and that time in my life. And the more I understand about the body and my study of the nervous system as a nervous system based chiropractor and just the subconscious mind, the conscious mind, how the body keeps a score. Um, and I think that there's three things that really contribute to any dis-ease in the body, um, whether you call it physical, chemical, emotional, or thoughts, trauma, and toxins. I definitely think it was the perfect storm. Yeah. Um, and I can't point one finger at one thing because there's no like line to completely draw and correlate. However, I look back at my life and um, the way my body has stored some emotional and physical traumas in my reproductive area, as well as the kind of chemical storm that my body was going through. And so I truly believe that it developed as a divine protection, as weird mm -hmm. as that's with cancer. Mm -hmm. um, I truly believe it was my tap on the shoulder from God that like, Hey, sis, this road you're going down, <clears throat> it's getting worse and worse and yeah. it's not getting better. And now you don't just have a UTI. You don't just have a kidney stone. You have cancer and nothing makes you stop and listen to your body like a cancer diagnosis that's telling you this is life or this is death. And it really forces you to put things into perspective. I am such a people pleaser by nature that my symptoms always felt like a burden to me. And mm. so I tried to silence them so that they weren't an inconvenience to other people. Mm. I would say that cancer made me listen and it made everyone else listen in a way that was bone chilling. I mean, devastating in every way and also a gift because I don't think I ever would have listened to my body whisper. Like I had to hear it scream in order to get that attention. And so I think that there's definitely just this accumulation that happens. I always tell patients when I'm talking to them about disease in the body, whether it's cancer or other things going on, like we all have this bucket and different things pour into it. And eventually it's going to tip over and it's going to spill out. And that's when our symptoms arise, whether it's cancer or allergies, something as simple as that, um, that something's not right in the body. And I needed that warning signal big time. Can you take us back to the moment you were diagnosed and just like getting a microscopic lens, like you were 20 years old, like what tests did you have done? What off kind of office were you in and how did the walls, like, what was that emotionally like too? Did the walls just like cave in Did time freeze? So it's a very unique story because um, I wasn't diagnosed in an office and there was no test for it. Hmm. I think that that is what made it so devastating in a way of, I never knew it was a possibility. I mean, at 20 years old, you just kind of think like, yeah, you're a little bit invincible. So mm -hmm. anyway, what had happened was I was getting more and more sick. Um, I was having surgery after surgery, trying to figure out where all these symptoms were coming from. Like I said, it was playing whack-a-mole, this surgery, that medication, this surgery, that medication. And I had gotten to what I thought was the final surgery of my rope. I thought we had found the quote unquote root cause. 
which was some large dermoid ovarian cysts. And my surgeon said, you know, we're going to take these out. They're growing very large. So that's pressing on your bladder, which is black flowing urine into your kidneys, which is creating the stones. And so we kind of really felt like, man, we got to the root of it. And so you was- were there for kidney stones. You- Essentially, it started as a UTI, uh-huh. which then led me to a urologist, which then led them to a CAT scan, which showed them kidney stones. Mm-hmm. And then they found that my ureters were backflowing, creating these really large kidney stones. So they said, okay, we're going to, you know, get the ureters flowing right. Then we're going to blast the stones. Then we're going to remove whatever is left. And so that was a series of surgeries and medications. I was on a medication called ciprofloxacin for 72 days, which is now mm-hmm. a black label drug for cancer. Again, you can't, you can't draw the complete dot to dot, but it adds up. Yeah. And so then after that surgery, my urinary symptoms were dissipating. However, my reproductive symptoms really went into overdrive to the point where on my menstrual cycle, I was taking a steroid, a muscle relaxer, and a painkiller at the same time wow. for an entire week, every month, just to baseline get through the day. Okay. So things were really off. Um, and that's what led me to a gynecologist instead of urologist. The gynecologist got the CT scan from the urologist. Um, my throat had closed halfway through the CT scan from an allergic reaction. So it was just like kind of a jumble of what the findings actually were. And she said, uh, sister, you have four very large ovarian cysts, very large, and we need to monitor these. So as we monitored them, she said, okay, these are growing every month. They need to come out. We're going to do a surgery at your Christmas break. It was my sophomore year of college Christmas break. We're going to do a surgery. We found the root cause. This is a routine procedure, X, Y, Z. And I felt good about that. But Mm -hmm. I also knew that there was a chance that in that type of procedure, given how large my um, ovarian cysts were, that they may have to take my ovaries with it. And I had just started dating this amazing guy named Jeremy. We were together for about a year at the time. And it made me stop and think about my husband, right? (laughs) (laughs) We've been together for 11 years now. Mm -hmm. Um, So I started to research. I started to research for the first time in my health journey. And I found this really crazy idea and I brought it to my surgeon. I said, I know you usually go in with a robot to get these things out. I want you to do a C-section like cut. I want this done in an open procedure. I know it's more risk. I know there's more bleeding. I know it's longer recovery, you know, and she mentioned, she's like, you're going to have a scar in a swimming suit. And I'm like, okay, not where my head is going here. Like I, I feel convicted about this and we kind of went back and forth a while, but she agreed to it. And so over my Christmas break of my sophomore year, we go in um, do the open procedure. I was absolutely terrified. I wake up out of surgery and everyone's, you know, happy with the news. So she said, we got clear margins. We removed them. They were so large. They had to be causing you so much pain. Everything looks good. Merry Christmas. Didn't find any endometriosis. Go home and heal, live your best life. And so that was happy. And We were in my college town, which was five hours from my hometown where we're going for Christmas. 
So stayed a couple days in the hospital, drove home um, away from the hospital where the surgery was. And I started to get very ill. Um, I started to turn gray. I had such a severe case of thrush that it was not only in my mouth, but down my esophagus into both my small and large intestine. I was urinating blood. I truly felt like, okay, that surgery might have gone really well, but I true, I feel like I'm dying. Mm-hmm. The recovery got really, really tough, especially days four, five, six, and seven post-op. And so I had been calling back and forth to the hospital, paging her, asking her all these questions. And when I woke up from a nap on day seven post-op, I saw I had a missed call and voicemail from a number that I didn't have saved in my phone. And she said, it's Dr. So-and-so, um, give me a call. I just want to chat about your health. And I thought, oh, great. She's sick of me paging her at the hospital. We're besties. Like we vibe. So I'm going to just give her a call on her personal number. <laughs> cool. Like that's where my mind was going. I was like, okay, sweet. Um, I thought we were just getting closer on like a texting basis. And I remember, um, it was like one of those naps where you wake up and you're kind of just disoriented. It was a really cold winter day. It was six days before Christmas. And I had my phone out in front of me on speaker calling her back as I walked into the kitchen and she answered and she said, um, you know, are you with anyone? And I was like, no, what's up? And she said, I need, I need you to call me back when you're with somebody. And we just kind of went back and forth. I said, I need you to tell me what's going on. And, um, she started saying all these words that I had no idea what they meant. I did not even know what the word malignancy meant. Um, she said to me, just, I've had this sent through pathology several times because I'm just, I cannot believe it. I I've never seen this before. We've never seen this before at this hospital. We're a research hospital, like, you know, X, Y, Z just kind of goes on and on and on. And I said, does this mean I can't have kids? I, I don't know what you're telling me. I truly had no idea what she was trying to say. And she said, Jess, you have a very highly aggressive grade three ovarian cancer. And we need you to come back to the hospital as soon as possible to get started with chemotherapy and cancer treatment. And I remember in that moment, like the biggest dragon tears, like involuntarily falling out of my eyes and hitting my phone screen as I have it on speaker. And I was just trying to click the red end button. Like I was just trying to make it stop because I was like cancer that has never been a possibility in any appointment I've had and everything we've talked about. I'm 20 years old. I can't have ovarian cancer. Like I didn't even know you were looking for that. I didn't even know that was a possibility. And she said, you know, I was telling her I was one speaker and I was like, stop, just please stop. Because she kept going on about my options and how there's the best of the best oncologists there. And, you know, they're going to take great care of me and all these things. And I just kept telling her to stop. And she said, okay, before you hang up, I need to tell you something. And even more pivotal than the 
news that I had cancer itself was what came after that. She told me, she said, Jess, if we would have went in with that robot and done this surgery, with how highly aggressive this grade three ovarian cancer is, it would have spread throughout your entire abdomen, which would have left you with days or weeks to live. What was it that you talk about a conviction and like, what was it that told you in your, in your own words, like, you can't do that. You have to go in another way. God. I mean, for me, I believe we're all born with an innate intelligence and logic gets in the way of it a lot. Um, and that's the only way I can explain it. It was such a deep knowing in my bones that that's what I needed to do. And like I said earlier, I'm a people pleaser. And so when it's not convenient or it's not the norm or it's judged or it's questioned, typically my default is to kind of shy back and go with what is more convenient for everybody else. And there have been a few pivotal pieces of my health journey and my career journey where I just know, and it doesn't make sense on paper and it doesn't make sense statistically. And there's just this inner knowing that's like, I need you to go this way. Mm -hmm. And when she told me that, I just knew, I, I knew it was so validating because one, I knew something was wrong and I'd been asking for help and I'd been asking for answers. And I had always gotten the classic, like, oh, it's normal in your girls, your age, or it'll go away or just get on birth control or, you know, all the long list of things that women are told when they talk about their symptoms. And so it left me feeling weak. Like maybe I'm just not strong enough, or maybe, um, you know, I just need to get over it or X, Y, Z. And so there was a lot of validation that came from it, but then the diagnosis itself because I thought, wow, I'm not crazy. Like I knew, I knew it, you know, even though it wasn't what I wanted, I knew that my, my innate intelligence was leading me in the right direction. And then when she told me about the form of surgery and how that saved my life, I was so honored by her being humble enough to admit that because it truly gave me such a strong inner compass to yeah. guide me back to life. And allowed me to see past the fear of the big C word and the diagnosis and all of it to allow that innate intelligence to really guide my healing journey moving forward. And you chose a treatment that wasn't run of the mill. So she was giving you the, these options. Did you go with any of those? Nope. What nope. Did, tell me more. How did the treatment evolve? So I entertained it. I totally entertained it. Um, my first oncology appointment was Christmas Eve. So five days later, we were in the fancy building. I was still feeling very, very sick um, from all that my body had been through up to this point. And truthfully, I did it for myself, but I like went to those appointments for my own information, but I, I really did it for my family. Um, I really did it because I wanted to show them that I was open to hearing all options, but I kind of knew things had to look different for me because I knew if I had another surgery or took another drug or put chemotherapy through my veins, that I was going to die. 
And at the very least, I needed to heal my body to be in a position to be strong enough for the treatments that were recommended at minimum. And so I went to oncologists in Iowa. I went to oncologists in Nebraska. We went to the Mayo Clinic. I went everywhere that people wanted me to go and get opinions. Um, But no one knew what to do with me. Even when I went to Mayo Clinic, they presented my case to the tumor board because they said, you actually have a neurological the cancer was within a dermoid cyst, which has eyes, teeth, brain, hair, like all sorts of different components. It's super crazy when you start to break that down. But mine was within the brain tissue of the dermoid ovarian cyst. And so there was a neurological component to it, as well as the fact that I was 20 years old, which is as typically a cancer found in people later in life. And so there were just so many things where it was like, do we cut, burn and poison or do we poison, burn and cut? Or how do we, what's the order here? Um, and they had me, you know, on the conveyor belt of hysterectomy, very harsh chemo, maybe radiation. And I'm like, I don't think I'll make it past the hysterectomy. I truly don't. Um, I had had seven surgeries by that point and I just knew I just knew I wasn't going to make it. Do you tap into that inner compass? Did you get with God and you're like, all right, I know these aren't an option. And, and how did you come across your treatment? Can you tell us more about what you chose and why? Yeah. Uh, Again, a little bit of divine intervention mixed with a lot of grit and um, that inner wisdom. So I had gotten a Facebook message after I shared about my diagnosis um, from a distant cousin who her boyfriend healed cancer holistically and kind of talked with them a little bit. They had recommended a few books to read and I was not an avid reader at that time, wasn't really interested in that, but um, I downloaded one of these books on a Kindle app and I remember just laying there and not sleeping for like an entire 24 hours. It felt like just, I couldn't put it down. I kept Mm. reading and reading and reading. I got the entire book done. And at the end, there was this list of cancer centers that practice this way of healing. And so I started a spreadsheet and I began reading and researching and watching YouTube videos and listening to testimonials and Um, researching what the treatments were and how to eat and just different things they did. And so it became really invigorating because I felt so much hope, not just hope of healing cancer, which was new to me, but had been going on in my body, but hope of healing from all the things I've dealt with since I was a young child. I mean, stomach issues, allergies, asthma, anxiety, depression, you name it. I mean, the, the list was long and I just hadn't realized it because it's that slow burn, right? It like happens a little bit at a time. And then a cancer diagnosis makes you look back and go, Oh yeah, I've been sick for a long time. It's just Mm -hmm. been such a slow process. And so I was on fire and I realized that, you know, other people were going to have questions and they were going to have fears and they were going to have doubts. And they all came from the place of wanting my best interest And so I was a little calculated in how I started to drip this information into my loved ones that, Hey, I'm looking at these other things and I'm 
trying new ways of eating and I, you know, I'm exploring these options. And I said, after I go to Mayo Clinic in Rochester, if this is not it, I want us to have a complete family meeting round table and I want to call these doctors. And that's what we did. So I called them and I interviewed them and I had different factors involved from, I mean, price all the way to treatments. And there were a lot of details that went into it. But the main thing was when I called the doctors at Oasis of Healing, which is where I ended up going, they spoke so much life and health into me in one phone call that I just knew these were my people. I knew that if I was going to heal, they had to be the ones leading me to health. And it wasn't speaking hope in a false way. It was just true wisdom that the body heals from the inside out, not the outside in, and that I can't teach my body how to be an environment that wards off all disease and stops making disease of any kind from cancer to allergies, to kidney stones, to anything I've dealt with. Um, and that was ultimately what did it for me. Mm. What did they say to you on that phone call? Do you remember any of their words specifically that spoke to you? You know, I don't remember specific words of that call, but I do remember the tone. I remember how I felt. I felt like it was the first time since I had the label of cancer that someone spoke to me like a healthy person, that someone mm -hmm. spoke to me like a 20 year old girl who has a whole life of head of, ahead of her. Um, and I remember them just being also um, partners in the journey and honoring that inner wisdom mm -hmm. instead of kind of looking down on me with, obviously doctors have formal education and they have credentials and oncologists are the best of the best. And so there was a whole lot of, I have the white coat, you're a young 20 year old girl. This is cute, mm -hmm. but you don't know what you're dealing with. And when I spoke with Dr. Lodi and Dr. Murphy, they were not only meeting me eye to eye, heart to heart, soul to soul, they were honoring what my body was telling me and inviting that into my healthcare plan. And not only inviting it, but knowing that that's the most vital part of this for the treatments to work for the nutrition plan to work, for any of this to work, we have to honor what your body is telling you because it knows the answer. And I really felt invited into that in a way that was so pivotal and unlike anything I've experienced and why I truly believe that it worked for me. Let's be honest, the healing journey can be hard from cooking to consultations and trying to live a life in between. Oftentimes you just run out of energy. Are you looking for a therapy that can shoulder some of this healing work for you? Well, I have got just the thing. Infrared has been the second best thing next to food as my medicine to heal all eight autoimmune and chronic conditions from my body. These infrared devices I'm going to tell you about literally helped me melt my eczema that was from my collarbone to my forehead 
away while I was healing with symptomless nutrition. I woke up every morning with skin that was cracked, bleeding so stiff. I could not even smile, but thank goodness for infrared as this was the only thing to truly help my skin be more supple, the eczema to heal my fatigue to reduce and my body to flush out the inflammation through heat shock proteins. So I could be here sharing this good news with you today. Truth be told, I still use my infrared sauna every single day because it makes me feel so good. So how can infrared help you heal? I want you to think of your body like one giant solar panel. You know, the ones that sit on rooftops and turn sun into energy inside of the home. Our bodies are basically doing the same thing, whether that's from the sun or healing infrared devices by exposing our skin to sunlight, seven dehydrocholesterol in the skin absorbs the UVB light and is converted to pre vitamin D3. From there, it changes into vitamin D3, and then your body uses it for anti-inflammatory healing. And research suggests this may result in more soluble mediators, such as endorphins, serotonin being released, think happy, feel good, anti-inflammatory, and increased ATP production by the mitochondria just from the infrared use. Your body is going to feel so, so good and relieved deeply with the infrared light. So where to start? Start with an infrared sauna. If you're ready to go in sweat and deeply detox and heal fast. If you need to take it slow, a juve red light by itself or combined with a biomat is a more gentle option that can be used anytime, anywhere without breaking the sweat. Simply head over to inspirehealthbygen.com slash infrared dash therapy, or click on the link infrared in the show notes. That's inspirehealthbygen.com slash infrared dash therapy. On the webpage, you will see an opportunity for up to a $600 discount for the infrared saunas and 50 to $100 discount for the biomats and the red light devices. So get that discount, head over to inspirehealthbygen.com slash infrared dash therapy. This is amazing. So you went to Oasis of Healing. What did you tell your other doctors and how did that go? Um, some of them I didn't, which they didn't yeah. follow up. Um, wow. Yeah. And um, honestly, the one that did, one called back and followed up because I was supposed to start chemo. And I had let her know that I was choosing another route. Um, and we went that direction and thank the Lord above. I was over the age of 18 or I wouldn't have had a choice. And that shakes me to my core. So if, if you were under 18, it was her that would decide, not your parents or you? Um, my parents would decide, but um, a lot of times, especially for parents looking to heal their children in any other way with cancer, yeah, they can get, um, there was actually a girl that I got in touch with. Um, she was basically put into an institution because her parents, yeah. I mean, it was just, I understand what you're saying or yeah. what the, what they're up against. So they yeah. had some opinions, but you went to this treatment center and what was the treatment like there? What was the day like there? And I mean, it, I think on the, hearing you tell your story, we're like, oh my gosh, this place is so amazing. But my guess, it probably wasn't very easy to go through yeah. There. Yeah. No. And that's what I always tell people. It's like, it's going to sound really glamorous. It sounds almost like a wellness retreat. And yeah. um, 
I think in my mind, that's what I made it. So like, I'm very proud of myself for the way that I chose to look at, look at this time in my life. However, it was not glamorous. Um, I remember we pulled up in an Uber to my first day of treatment and my mom and sister were essentially like, Jess, what in the world do you think you're doing? Because it's like a back alley, little Adobe holistic healing hut. Like nobody's wearing shoes. Like (laughs) you have like, so especially because it's such a harsh contrast to like going to the Mayo Clinic in Rochester where everyone's wearing a mask and everything's sterilized and no two people are near each other. And like, all of it to where we walk in and there's like these, there's like 12 recliners in a room and like each person's got their own thing and they've got like their IV poles and their green juice. And they're just like jamming to meditations and (laughs) (laughs) they're like, and also I'm like, what in the world am I doing also? Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, okay, God, please tell me why you led me here. Like, please, please. And thankfully there was this male nurse, uh, his name was Steven and he took us and he like totally had a nice sense of humor and we hit it off and he's like, listen, you're in great hands. I know this is weird. I know this seems like very far out there, but like there's some amazing healing that happens here. And he kind of took me under his wing and made it feel more relatable because I was 20 years old. Most people here were in their sixties and seventies and they- you know, completely different stages of life, completely different playing field. Um, and so I felt like a fish out of the water in the biggest stretch that you could possibly imagine. I was, I can imagine you there, like just being in your home and it's like so beautiful. And you have a, one of your gifts is you make things beautiful, like physical things, very beautiful. You could be like, we could just like do this up a little bit, or we could make these recliners a little bit more bougie. You're like, we could do something with this. I could see you like giving them interior design mm-hmm. consults while you were there. Your sister too, but yeah. So you were like a third of the age of most of the yes. people there. Yes. Wow. Yep. Youngest by 20 years. Um, The next from me was uh, 40 something. And what did you do every day there with these barefoot hippies? (laughs) So, um, went completely raw vegan, uh, no fruit. And so it was like, I mean, stripped me down to what you eat, raw nuts and seeds, raw veggies, lots of green juice, um, you name it. So one of the reasons why I chose that center is because they prepared all your juices and foods for you. Cause I'm like, listen, I have no idea how I can I can barely make pizza rolls. Okay. Like I can't make green juice in my time. Like I don't know what I'm doing. So that was important to me to find a healing center that provided the food that they wanted me to eat so that I could learn how to adapt to it first before having to take all of that on and grocery shop and meal prep and all of that. And you're, you, you love your fruit nowadays. What was their yeah. therapeutic approach with eliminating fruit for a period of time at the center? There's their philosophy was the sugar, um, starving the body of all kinds of sugar. So it was almost like raw keto vegan. Yeah. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. yeah. Um, it worked. It, it worked. Yeah, totally. It wasn't sustainable long-term by any means, but I knew, I mean, at that point I was like, I'll eat anything. Um, And so what a day looked like was I did a lot of therapies in my hotel room first before I went to treatment. So started my day with 
coffee enema, rebounding, lots of lemon water, green juice, affirmations, prayer, devotional. I mean, I had a whole morning routine, which was every single thing I was doing was foreign to me. Every single thing. I mean, so it was really a huge lifestyle change. Um, and then when we got to the treatment center, we got um, to go to a house called the Lifestyle. Did they, did they teach you to do that morning routine or did you come up with it on your own? They told me what to do and I okay. figured out how to do it, which was, okay. I'm going to have you picture this. I just had a port put in my chest, so I like could barely move my arms. And they gave me a sheet of paper from like Microsoft Word instructions of how to do a coffee <laughs> my hotel room with one arm trying to figure out how this works complete mental breakdown I'm like I can't do this this is crazy you know so there was it was not easy it was a few spews or spillovers before we had success yes (laughs) I mean a lot of a lot of trial and error (laughs) just I mean I had to learn how to laugh through the tears and pick myself back up literally Mm -hmm and try again. And it was a very hard and emotional process. Um, I mean, detoxing from all of what I did know, trying to incorporate what I don't know in an area that's completely unfamiliar to me, um, across the United States with no one permanent there. Um, and so at 20 years old and, um, so it was just wild. Did that in the morning, went to, treatment. And at first we would have what they call a lifestyle class. And so those classes were designed to teach us essentially how to live outside of treatment. So how to integrate when you get back home, how to make food, what to look for in your products, um, how to juice all those essential skills essentially to like make sure you're successful at home. And that was a big piece of why I chose this place too, is I'm like, I need you to teach me how to continue this lifestyle or or, you know, what's going to happen there. So that's what we did for the first hour. And then we would go get a schedule um, of our therapies for the day. And so usually started with an IV of some kind, high dose vitamin C, like 75 grams, which is extremely high. And they did IVs and then you had a port as well, two separate things, right? I did the IV through the port. Um, Because it's such high dose vitamin C, it can really burn the veins with doing it how much we were required to do it. And so that's why I had the port put in. Um, and then I also did, there were six times in my stay there that I did insulin potentiated therapy, which is a form of like almost, I think it's like in layman's terms, holistic chemo, if you will. So they get your blood sugar down to a certain point. Um, you're monitored with a nurse and then once it's low enough, they essentially take insulin and on the tail end of the insulin is like a microdose of the chemo cocktail that you were prescribed. And so what happens is the insulin opens up that cancer cell and on the tail end of it is that chemo drug. Um, but I never threw up, I never lost my hair. Um, so it was a much more holistic way of doing things. Um, the, one of the best analogies my oncologist had was he said, if you had like a bad guy in your city and you were trying to save the people, instead of going and bombing the whole city just to get the bad guy, you take a sniper to him. And he's like, the good guy's is your immune system. The bad guy is, is the, the cancer cell. And so we're mm-hmm. targeting 
And then what you would do after the IPT is you would get then your high dose vitamin C to flood the body with antioxidants. And then you would go do um, infrared sauna and colonic to pull out all the die off. Because the way they educated me is that the die off is what makes people feel so sick during the cancer process um, because their detox pathways aren't open and they have nothing pulling it out. And so honestly, that was like the most amazing feeling when you would go get the colonic after, because it truly did. It like took all the symptoms away. Um, and then you would go home and heal. So every day was a little bit different, but those were the most intensive therapy days. And then some supportive therapies were like, they did B, uh, B17, which is, um, from apricot seeds and it's supposed to be very powerful and anti anti-cancer. They did B17 intramuscular injections. We did, um, hyperbaric oxygen, um, all sorts of things like that. And, um, from there, it was really about food and nutrition on the weekends. To you, what makes cancer something that someone might be able to heal within themselves? What do you mean by that? Well, let me tell you, I'm seeing, it's not the same thing, but we've talked a little bit on this podcast. I'm just seeing so many similarities. I work mostly with autoimmune disease and talk a lot about autoimmune disease of like the die off being the roughest part and getting the good things into the cells. And so you were faced with these different treatment options. And I'm sure people listening are like, I wonder if this could be for me. And this is not medical advice, but in your experience, in your own body, what made an aggressive stage three cancer that most doctors are probably like, oh my gosh, you have to do it this way. Like what made it healable for you? The belief. Mm. Mm -hmm. The belief. I knew, I just knew. And I, I think your belief in anything you put in your body, whether it's on the end of your fork or in a pill or thoughts you think or things you consume, mind, body, spirit, um, your belief is what it will be. Because there were people next to me in those crunchy little recliners doing the (laughs) exact same protocol. I mean, yes, we had different cancers, but I watched them completely regress with cancers that were supposed to be less harsh than mine. Meanwhile, I was thriving through it. And Mm -hmm. I truly believe it's because I knew I needed to be there. I knew I was called there. I knew I was called to heal that way. Whereas maybe their family member thought so, or it was a last resort or it was, you know, so I think those things are very, very powerful. And I made it a point and an effort. I remember just, I went to Target almost every week there to buy sticky notes because I would put them everywhere, like on my IV bags, on everything. Um, I would listen to certain music while I was getting my drips. Like I made sure there was so much belief and intention behind every single thing, whether I wanted to be doing it or not, like in the, in the moment, because I believed in the overall process. I believe my body could heal given the right environment. Um, so to me, it all comes down to belief. And now you're super successful. You opened a thriving chiropractic healing center in the pandemic. 
I see just as your friend, Jess, like a lot of these practices carry over. Like you are one for a good worship playlist as you have like your daily start and like just always having positive thoughts and like speaking it into existence. And so how is your healing journey in your body set you up for this tremendous success you've had as an entrepreneur? Mm. It has everything to do with it. Um, I did not expect this to make me cry. Can do it. <laughs> there were a lot of times, a lot of times, I never asked God why. I never did. Um, I just promised him in those moments that I wouldn't forget. In that I would always connect with the version of myself that was laying on the bathroom floor, bawling, <laughs> recovering from surgery, trying to figure out a coffee and a mug, and the version of myself that ordered an Uber to cancer treatment. And the version of myself that was brought to the deepest core and on my knees and the only thing I could turn to for strength was my higher power and my bigger purpose through me and really surrendering myself to be a vessel and just saying, God, use me no matter what it looks like. If this is, if this is it, if this is all you have for me, I will live my days with pure joy and I hope to leave an impact on the world. And if it's not, like wherever you lead, I'm going to follow. Um, and so like, I continued to make these decisions that just don't make sense to anybody else. You know, like I opened a chiropractic office. My first month open was March of 2020. You know, you're a hands-on business in healthcare in a pandemic where you're not supposed to be seeing people, let alone touching people. And, you know, just one decision after another. And so the way that that has made me quote unquote successful in this journey is letting that compass that led me to healing continue to be my guide, whether it makes sense to others or it doesn't. I know it's what I need to follow. And I know it's why I've been given a second chance at life. And I think that I also have the ability to see people and to connect a piece of me connects to a piece of them, no matter where they're at in their healing journey or their life's journey. And you make healing so approachable. And I mean, whether you're laying your healing touch in an adjustment or through your blog and your Instagram, I mean, you to me that what draws like masses of people to you as a healer and as a doctor is like the way you make it approachable. Would you agree? I know you being, even if you're humble. <laughs> Thank you so much. I mean, yeah. I think that approachable comes from, um, that relatability because I've been there, you know, I've been lost. I've been in, you know, I, you live life you live a lot of life in a short amount of time when you feel like it's the end. And so a lot of people tell me like, you're such an old soul or you seem so much older than you are, or you're so wise or whatever it may be. And I'm like, in my head at 20 years old, 
I probably could relate with someone who is 89 and feeling like they're near the end. And then Mm -hmm. also in that there was a rebirth in me, you know, so it's just like you, the gift of that, if you let it be the gift is so much experience on such a deep level in such a short amount of time. So whether it's a new mama, that's afraid of giving birth or it's a, you know, I mean, it could be any scenario and I just feel like I can sit with them eye to eye and without words, make them feel seen and understood. You do that. And you've, you've really overcome the unimaginable. And I remember reading on your blog, nine years ago, you wrote a quote at the top of your journal and the goal isn't to live forever, but to create something that will. And you've created two very beautiful healing avenues for women, for families, your chiropractic office in Kansas city, and then you have your online blog and platform. So how can listeners who are just feeling like this woman understands this provider gets me, I, I want to be in touch with her. I want to um, see her for healthcare. I want to see her for coaching, for advice, whatever it may be. Can I just follow and read her stories for inspiration? How can our listeners connect with you, learn from you and be in your presence? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So if you just kind of want to follow along or learn a little bit more about um, the two kind of journeys that are growing and evolving right now. Um, you can follow me on Instagram personally at Dr. Jess Bolke. Um, that's B O H L K E or my personal website and blog at drjessbolke.com. And then, um, for our chiropractic office in Kansas city, it's journey chiropractic, and we would love to have you there as well. And we will link all of this in the show notes so that you don't have to play a guessing game. If you're like, oh my gosh, I, I want to connect with her. Just go right to the show notes, get that information, get in touch with Jess. And Jess, do you have any final words that you could leave with our listeners today and someone who finds themselves somewhere along their healing journey that you've been at? Absolutely. I think no matter where you're at, the next step forward is not to be more, do more, achieve more. It's to strip away any interferences that are getting in the way of your innate wisdom um, or silencing that. And so sometimes on health journeys, it can feel so complex and overwhelming. And I would say just start at slowly and gently eliminating anything that isn't you. And that voice will be there. Mm. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Jess, for being here today. Thank you. Such an honor. Yeah. And for those listening, thank you for being here with us in this healing community. You can subscribe to the show, leave a five-star review if that resonates and help this healing message reach millions of women around the world. We'll see you next week.